Love Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. since we were on the air last time. Yeah, really hard to keep up with all this stuff. Uh, I know a big thing that was missing since this is the Gridiron Stud Show is uh, we missed all the analysis on the Underwear Olympics, a.k.a. the NFL Combine, uh, as that did pass us here in the month of March. I was busy prepping some guys for the uh, NFL Combine and their, uh, and their pro days, had a really good time doing that and learning a little bit more about the whole process. Uh, as it exists today. Of course, I went through this uh, many moons ago, Emil, and listen, it was, um, if I'm doing the math, some 22 years ago since I've had to go through this. And it was and probably a fraction of what they go through today because as that, like anything, like things It might as like, well be keep... 100 years ago, Emil. It might as well be 100 years ago. Yeah, but my, it, it gets um, more complicated. And, you know, I do feel, by the way, thank you very much, like a trendsetter because you've adopted my term for the combine and just basically made it like Coca-Cola is to uh, a brown-colored soda. Uh, you just called it the Underwear Olympics without even thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that term that you've made it because that's basically what it is, and um, that's that's what it boils down to, and it's become a little bit of um, – of not even just Olympics, but a little bit of a clown show, Olympics. I mean, this year with the 40-yard dashes, couldn't get the times right. They're questioning that stuff. Now they're talking about if they're going to continue to have the 40-yard dash be a part of this thing. I'm not listening to any of that because, you know what, I've noticed a big change in the NFL Combine and the way it's conducted ever since they started televising it. It's now become more about ratings. Like everything well, else. it's like any it's like it's like everything that's happened with the NFL over the years. You know, these guys have figured out the owners and the commissioner how to maximize every dollar. Now, as a business owner, and you are a business owner, you have to appreciate from a business perspective what they've done because they squeeze every nickel out of everything. But as a football fan. You know, it makes it hard because a lot of it does become silliness. I mean, you flip on the NFL Network and you'll have Rich Eisen and his sneakers challenging one of the hosts to run a, a sprint, and you're just sitting there going, really? I mean, that's all you got for me? That's what you got? Yeah, Rich you know, Eisen and sneakers? And you know, Emil, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, again, and we've talked about it a bunch on this show, that kind of stuff there really is for the non-football fan. It's to draw in the audience that are not hardcore football fans. And more and more, the NFL is appealing to that type of 
um, fans. And that's a term used loosely. They know they're going to get us because the game of football is being played. We're talking about the game of football. So they know they already have us. And they're just, in in essence, taking the true football fan for granted as they do all these other But I'm wondering, you know, okay, let's define that. I'm wondering how many – are we outnumbered? I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm starting to wonder, especially with the NFL, not college as much. College, I think you get the hardcore fan. The NFL, I'm wondering if there aren't – you know, if we haven't crossed that that line where more than 50% of the people really aren't hardcore fans. Well, whether whether the actual numbers say that or not, it really is, at this point in time, those people who speak the loudest about the game. So it would seem that they are, even if they aren't. That's just what it is. They're the ones that are talking about the issues. They're the ones making noise about this, that, and the other. And the hardcore fans say, hey, listen, we've been watching this game in its form for the last decade, 20, 30, 40 years, depending on your age. And, it, you know, it is what it is. It's football. But we're not the ones making noise about concussions, injuries, um, hard hits. Um, that's the people that have been invited to this game that weren't a part of it, that aren't really well, Speaking of concussions, I mean, I think Jerry Jones should be in the concussion protocol because every once in a while he just reminds you of how quickly he's headed to the, the Al Davis state. I mean, when he says um, stuff like... Are, like, are you, you know, talking about him saying... The, the comment he made about concussions? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You want to talk about a guy marketing really 101. Well, even if you no, believe not. that. Right. Don't you don't say, say it. it. No, not today's, not in today's day and age. I don't know. How much backlash is he receiving for that? Not not a whole hell of a lot. And to be honest with you, Emil, I don't know that I absolutely disagree with him. I don't either, I mean, but what I'm trying to say. T- the common Joe. I mean, we're just out testing um, NFL football players, former NFL football players for CTE. We're not, we're not, we're not checking common individuals. All we know, um, there are a good amount that do have it. So we don't have, we don't have what your typical uh, studies would have, a test group. Well, what you're saying group. is we don't have a control group. What we don't have is what, exactly what you're saying. If if they tested and 15% of people that are dying to play in the NFL have this, let's say, CTE, like you said, we might go to the general population and find out it's 14.5%. I mean, I don't know. I agree with you. The other question I have about all of it is we attribute it, you know, like you said, we, we haven't tested, at least as far as I know, I agree with you. I haven't seen a study of people who haven't played football. Mm-hmm. Um or, or football at that level maybe is the better thing. I mean, you're, you, you know, I mean, I'm not sure they're saying playing Pop Warner football does it. Uh, but that said, my my bigger question is why some guys. To, to me, it's like any other ailment. Okay, some people uh, do do a certain activity, and it leads to their demise. Another group of people do the same thing, and they're perfectly fine. So I guess what I'm saying is, um, if you die when you're 82. And you have you played in the NFL. You're you're 85, and they find out. You know what? We cut the guy's head open. He died. He was 85. He had CT. Well, if he was perfectly fine his whole life, who cares? I mean, Troy Aikman seems to be living an okay life. How about Steve Young? Mm-hmm. He seems fine too. Those guys were the poster children for concussions. Right, right. So I don't know how much we have there, but I'll tell you what. 
the fans that the NFL has appealed to um, seem to be making the biggest noise about that. Or the media feels like they need to play up to that kind of fan when it comes to stuff like this. So uh, while the NFL is trying to grow their game, they're also uh, heavily under attack for a bevy of issues, concussion being one of them. Um, domestic violence. But you understand what I'm saying with Jones. I'm not saying whether you're right or wrong, if you're a business person, you got to consider the environment and the time and the context of of when you're making a statement. For him to say that is just not helpful for his his company, which is the NFL, their cause. Okay? It's just not not helpful because – what did you say? It's not – I mean, if Jerry no. Jones knows anything, it's the media, um, and he knows how to stay in it. He's very Madonna-esque, very Dennis Rodman when it comes to that. Hey, you know what? We haven't been in the news much lately at all. Um, so let me just put something like this out here, and we can get to talking about me and the Dallas Cowboys again. We're not going to get Johnny Manziel. Um, that would have kept us in the news the way that I would have liked it because I'm we're really Hollywood here. So you know what? Let me just – say this thing right here and I know the media will take it and run very good for the NFL very good for the Cowboys I should say you're right keeps them in there but for the NFL who's undergoing potentially another class action and I haven't really brushed up on that yet to see what's going down on this concussion thing I just think you don't want to give lawyers any more ammunition here than than they already have because they seem to have a lot of it they're going after the league listen I sat back this month we were away or six weeks and I have to tell you something, and, you know, I'd love to hear from listeners on this. I have concern in our country where we're going right now, and I'm not saying next week, that someday the game of football may be, may be gone. And, and here's how it's going, going to happen. It's not going to happen because they take down the NFL. The NFL has the money to continue to pay any, any of these suits, okay? My concern is when, when administrators and school boards start saying, you know what? Parents start suing over kids playing high school football, and more than a few. Let's say you start getting lots of lawsuits. They're going to say, we don't want to have this anymore in high school. And the minute it goes away from high school, while you may be able to get away with it down there because you have enough of an interest in South Florida with all the stuff you guys do to continue to produce football players, throughout the country, without high school, there are no academies or not many of them up here in the north. Okay. Right. You're not going to have football anymore because you won't have a feeder system. Yeah, um, interesting where that's going to go. You know, I, I really think the sport, like our banks, are too big to fail. But um, little small chipaways here and there can, you know, probably over time, do some damage. Right. I'm not saying those, those you're going to wake up and they're going to cancel the 2016 season on anyone. I'm not. I'm not crazy here. But what I'm saying is a chip away. You keep. You keep. Putting it in the psyche of the country, that's how things change. It's no different than the way they stop people from smoking. When we were kids, and I know, you know you're know you not that much younger than me, it was common to see adults and even kids in, in, in high school lighting up cigarettes. People smoked everywhere. But slowly in the 70s, they started with the messaging that, listen, this is really bad for you. We're not guessing that it's really bad for you. We know it's really bad for you. And over decades... People have curbed their smoking. Sure, people still do it, but nowhere near the way they did it in, say, the 1950s. And if you keep chipping away at the game of football, you know, it's bad for you. Uh, You know, Johnny shouldn't play football. Johnny ends up playing soccer or baseball or basketball. And slowly you take away athletes. 
Um, and then if you have enough parents that sue, you know, because a kid uh, doesn't do well on his SATs, it's because he played high school football and he's foggy now. I mean, all you need is a right. few of those, and you you start getting school boards saying, you know what, we, we're we not going to be part of this. We can't afford these lawsuits. We're not the NFL. Yeah, well, there's no doubt that, you know, before you and I check out, assuming we, you know, live um, a fairly long, and you know, and if we reach our life expectancy, this game will change um, quite a bit significantly before uh, you and I check out of here. It's already changing now, so um, that's just the reality of things. That's that's the way the game's going. It's and we have, by the way, we have some shuffling on the deck of the field of guys that we've talked about a lot on the show. Um, you know, in the weeks after after the season and in the playoffs, you know, we were you and I were you were asking about RG three. You know, we're, we all thought maybe he'd go to Dallas. Then it looked like, well, he's not really a fit in the offense, and he ends up in you know the NFL wasteland of Cleveland. I don't. Um, understand it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at crafting an argument for almost anything that can happen. Uh, help me with that RG3 decision. Well, this may be a case of the, the perception of the player versus the reality of the situation. I mean, the perception RG3 in his own mind, and, you know, he's an athlete, and you, you spend your life around athletes, and you know the mindset of the athlete is you have to be confident. Once you lose that, at that level especially, you're done. So, you know, he won a Heisman Trophy, and he's still very confident in his ability. So he's not seeing maybe what people who aren't as emotionally invested in the decision are seeing. And he's saying, hey, I can go into Cleveland. Sure, they may take a quarterback at number two this year, but they're not going to want to put the guy in the field. So I got a year or two to – you know, re- revitalize my career and then get a big deal for myself somewhere, whether it be with them and they trade the guy they, they draft or, you know, they let me go and play that guy, if, assuming they take someone at number two. And uh, yeah, I think that's what he's thinking. Now, what are you and I thinking? Well, I'm not going to speak for you. What am I thinking? I'm thinking this is a guy who hasn't really thrown passes in the league in, what, two years almost? Um, I'm thinking he needs some major fixes in his game. He needs to, you know, fix his, not only his mechanics, but the way he reads defenses, going through progressions, and probably would have been better off going to a place for at least a year where he's watching a veteran play and maybe can they can work on fixing him. I mean, that's what I see. Yeah, perhaps he's sitting there thinking, you know what, I've been sitting here for the greater part of a year, maybe, I guess, two years he's been sitting. Do I really want to come out of this and go into a situation where I am sitting maybe another two or three years uh, after coming into the league and playing, perhaps he thought, look, let me just go to the place where I think I can get on the field the fastest. Not, you know, Maybe that's the thought process, whether or not that's a good idea. I have no idea. Uh, well, no, I do have an idea. Going to Cleveland just has not been a good idea for anyone playing the quarterback position for quite some time now since good grief. Uh who, who do we want to call? Bernie Kosar, probably. I mean, the real, the last real, you know, you would I mean, say stud ridiculous. quarterback they had. There was probably Kosar. Sure, you go late '80s. Sure, um, yeah. you know, I mean, we're going to find out just what Cleveland really thinks of him because he's only 25 years old. If Cleveland really thinks that during the off season with some work that that he's a viable starting NFL quarterback, it frees them up to do all kinds of stuff in the draft at number two because somebody will probably want to move up to number two and take a quarterback that that would be my guess um 
so they're not really in. You know, if they feel he can play and they and they're confident in him, I, I think that you see Cleveland pro- probably pass on a quarterback. So I mean, it's going to tell us exactly what they view RG three as because if they go take a quarterback at number two, it's uh, <laughs> telling you that they're basically flushing. They feel they're probably flushing this season and getting a guy ready for 2017. I know you're big into this stuff, Emil. Do you happen to know what his contract is like? I really didn't pay attention. Uh, I forget, but I thought he got a decent amount of money for a couple of years. It was not a long deal. I mean, I I, I have to admit deal? I didn't pay much attention because I I it was a head scratcher to me. I if I was advising him career advice, I would have told him, you know, find a team, San Diego or Dallas. Let's see if we can get you in where they've got a veteran, older starting quarterback that's still really good but probably a little more brittle. And, and you might get on the field either as a backup or, you know, eventually in short order they may retire and if they, you know, and, and you may be their guy to, you know, take over. That's, that would have been my advice. I wouldn't have said go to Cleveland. So I didn't pay much attention um, when, I saw, when I saw Cleveland sign him. You know, but I, I thought he got a fair amount of money, though, from what I recall seeing go on the ticker that day. Yeah, I think we all thought that would be the route that he would go. Uh, go to a stable franchise with uh, a decent quarterback or, you know, a really good quarterback that may be uh, at the end of things. And, uh, you know, RG3, is if he's been one thing and since being in the league, it's been unpredictable. So just another chapter in the uh, unpredictable RG3. Um, so we'll all be carefully. Well, you know what? The Cleveland Browns um, have put themselves in a situation where, you know what, we're forced to watch. The Cleveland Browns this year were forced to pay attention to this franchise that's been, uh, you know, almost a butthole of the NFL for. Yeah, but you know what? I I think there's a bigger picture here with the RG3 and and the potential trade, which we'll talk in the next segment with Kaepernick. It's telling you just the, the, the dearth, there's a good word for anybody out there, go look that one up, dearth, of NFL quality quarterbacks coming from the college game right now mainly because they're not playing professional offenses in the college game. So you're, you're finding it harder and harder to, to find the next Peyton Manning or, or even the Andrew Lux of the world, which is why I keep telling you, if I'm drafting in, in the NFL these days, I'm taking a quarterback every year. Now, it might not be high in the draft, but I'm grabbing a guy every year because even if I don't need one, if I can develop him, I can get a king's ransom when I trade them because there just aren't a lot of NFL quality quarterbacks coming from the college game, which really goes back to the two guys that seem to be at the top of this draft. Wentz from the one double a school at North Dakota state and Goff from Cal seem to be, you know, the, the apple of everyone's eye. And if, if you're a scout for an NFL team and you believe they can be an above average starter, if they're on the board and you're picking, you almost got to take them. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, perhaps, but I do like your strategy of picking a quarterback every year, especially if you've got a guy that can play right now. Um, and, and let's use your team as an example, Tony Romo, um, obviously a guy that could play the position. Uh, I'd like to see what he comes back like off of this injury, but uh, obviously one of the, one of the, in the upper half of quarterbacks in this league. And if you just pick a guy every year, you know, you may stumble into something. You may stumble into a Tom Brady type of guy 
who is a fifth, sixth-round pick, who can actually play the position, just didn't have enough height. Maybe you chose a guy who comes from some type of a pro system who just didn't have the numbers or, or like I said, the height to be picked in the upper part of the draft. And then you find out we really do have an NFL quarterback here and someone that can step in when the time is up for Tony Romo. So I really do like that idea. We well, they have me completely it. fake. They hold have on, me faked out this year. This Let's jump into this break. Let's pay a little bills. When we get back, we'll continue our NFL discussion. We'll talk about the draft, the Underwear Olympics, uh, MLB opening day. There's a big basketball game being played today, lost in all of our talk here in the opening. Big basketball game going down tonight. So we'll talk about that and more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code Gridiron Studs when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code Gridiron Studs. Do it now! O-M-G. Look at all of this paperwork. Are you a business owner and you're buried under a mountain of paperwork? You need an MVP on your team. And that MVP is MVP Business Concierge Services. They know that sometimes paperwork can get in between you and your customers. Why not spend the time doing what it is you do best? Getting new customers handling the ones that you have now, and while you're doing that, you can have an MVP working for you. We know that tax season is the busiest time of the year for business owners. No more missing deadlines and getting IRS penalties for late filing. MVP Business Concierge Services will do all the hard work for you. They will streamline your payroll, streamline your finances, and have you on track. With trustworthy advisors that are very reliable, they will take the hard work away from you and get you back into what it is you're doing best. How do you get this MVP on your team? You call right now, 844-696-8722, 844-MY-MVP-CC, or send an email to info at mymvp.cc and get an MVP on your team today.
We're back here on the uh, second segment of the Gridiron Stud Show. Chad Wilson, Emil Calamino. Back at it after some uh, considerable time off. And, uh, you know, like we said in the first segment, there's just so much, Emil, that has gone on that we've passed. But we want to continue the discussion on picking a quarterback with uh, each and every draft. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Well, no, I was going into, you know, this year's draft is interesting to me and as a Cowboy fan, really interesting because I don't know where my own team's going in this draft. You know, they keep saying they won't take a quarterback at four. But there, there's a part of me that says, you know, if, they, if they're scouts, and that's what you don't know. I don't know and you don't know and no one out there can pretend to know what exactly the Dallas scouts, and believe it or not, they have pretty good scouts. The Cowboys haven't missed many of their higher picks the last few years. I mean, they've been pretty solid in the top three rounds. Their problems have come from rounds four through seven. Um, If their scouts believe in Wentz or Goff, and they say that these guys are going to be Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks, I don't see how you can pass on that because Dallas hasn't picked this high in almost 27 years or something like that. Since Since the Aikman pick, I don't think... Uh, you know, maybe 1990 when Russell Maryland happened to be, I think they, they had traded and got the number one pick still. I don't think they've had this pick, you know, in the top five. So, I mean, how do you pass on a quarterback when, when it's been well, a quarter century? You don't want that problem. You don't, you don't want the problem that comes with having a guy drafted that high sitting behind another quarterback. I mean, what happens if there's a two- or three-game stretch where Tony Romo doesn't look all that great? Um, then you've got that whole problem going on. And some guys just don't want to deal with it. And you don't have a strong personality, Emil, at your head coaching position. It's not Parcells. It's not Belichick. That's not what you have at that spot. So can Garrett handle something like that? Well, I think we're not being fair to him in the sense that I'm I'm sure his personality, I think part of his problem is he acquiesces a lot because he he knows Jones's personality from having been there for most of his professional career as a player and a coach. I would love to see him with a different owner. I think Garrett has potential to be a coach. I just think that's not the best well, place for him. Well, we're not going to see that, obviously. Obviously. Well, I mean, you make a valid point, and what I've read from scouting reports and, and gathered just myself watching, I don't think either one of these guys – is a can't-miss player. I, I, I compare Wentz a little bit to Bortles down in Jacksonville. Um, I think with seasoning and in the right place, he could be an excellent player. Uh, Goff, I'm just not sure about because I've seen him in the Pac-12, and I've seen him against the better teams. He's thrown quite a few picks against better teams. He has a lot of games, if you go through his game log, where he does his five and six touchdowns against inferior opponents. But when he played the Oregons and Stanfords and USC's, he got picked off. I mean, I know USC got two or three against them last year. He played in that air raid offense. I don't like guys coming where they're not used to playing under center. So you may be right. They may just say, you know what, we're going to use this pick on a stud player at a position that can help us, and we're going to find our quarterback in the second or third round. From my advantage, and I was going to ask you this just about players in general, if you Mm -hmm. said to me, Three guys in this draft that are can't miss and that they'll be excellent NFL players. Immediately, I say Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, and Ezekiel. But here's my problem with two of them: safeties and corners play well into their 30s. Hell, all you had to do was look at the Cincinnati Bengals defensive backfield last year. I think everybody was collecting Social Security checks and playing quite well. Okay. When I get a pick in the top seven, eight in the draft, 
and we've talked about this in previous years, I think you need a guy who's going to be with your franchise and be a cornerstone of your franchise for at least an 8- to 10-year period in your mind, barring some catastrophic injury. When I look at guys like Miles Jack, who, who's a, a, a run-and-hit linebacker, and I look at running backs, their lifespan generally in the NFL is not very long. Those linebackers, most teams carry six and seven linebackers because if you read injury reports every week, they're the guys that are always out, linebackers, because they get in as many collisions as running backs. So Yeah, yeah I, that's what, but you know, Eamon, it just looks like, sounds like you could get, you could overanalyze things a little bit too much when it comes to the draft, when you start getting into that. Uh, is a guy a good player? Is he a great player? Um, the fact that he was a great player in college, what what he does, can it translate to the NFL? Then so be it. I mean, if we get into trying to forecast a guy's longevity in in the league, I mean, I think that's where you start morphing yourself into overanalyzing a thing. If a guy gives no, a no, 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 I'm not saying I'm not saying a particular guy. I'm saying positional. I think it's very yeah, hard I today. I mean, position. If we start getting into that, I mean, you know, this whole thing with running backs. Yeah, we find one in the fifth round, fourth round. Okay, so what? We're we're gonna pass up potential second or late first round guys because we think we could. Well, this guy's a great running back. He can run the football. No, I think every um, team is different. I think the Rams were very smart last year to take Gurley, but I don't think the you can look at any two teams the same on any position. Like for instance, let's take the Rams last year taking Gurley, and my team in the NFL in today's game with the salary cap you can't have the proverbial stake on every plate. In other words, you have resources, you're going to spend them in different areas, every team allocates them differently. If you're the Dallas Cowboys and you have three first-round picks on your offensive line, a um, couple regarded as the, some of the one or two best at their position, and, and another guy coming in, this Collins kid, who might become a stud, he looked very good as a rookie, your, your money is invested in your old line. It's very hard for you to say, now we're going to start using – top 10 picks on running backs, because really it was proven last year. The Cowboys don't need a top 10 running back. Hell, Darren McFadden looked looked very good playing without a quarterback. So, you know, I think you and I, I don't, I, I, this, this is one of those things that I think we, we may differ on. Maybe. Sure, Darren McFadden rushed for over a grand uh, behind the Cowboys offensive line. So and with me playing quarterback, at, essentially. They had no outside threat in that offense last year. None. Right. So we could sit here and say, hey, look, based on the numbers, the guy did well. Well, we don't know, Emil, what, um, you know, someone else, let's, let's, let's say the guy that was there. We don't know what he would have looked like another year behind that line, given all of the same situation. I mean, he might have rushed for close to 2,000 yards. For all we know. Oh, you're, you know, so listen, 100%, 100% I agree with you. I 100%. And you know what? If you got all your bases covered and you, you don't have holes on your football team, I understand that. What I'm getting at, and in particular the Cowboys, but you can apply this to any team, the Cowboys' biggest deficiency going into this draft is not a need for a running back is what I'm saying. I mean, if you had me picking at number four, I'm telling you right now, the more I've looked at this the last couple of weeks, if that kid from Florida State's on the board, I'm taking him. What, next year? Yes. Or Jalen Ramsey this year you're talking about? Yes, this year if I'm the Dallas Cowboys 
And it comes down to, you know, we know their deficiencies really are on defense, okay? Mm-hmm. I agree with your assessment and people who haven't – Chad and I have been talking a little off the air just generally. You know, we had a conversation. You And you, I know you're not a huge fan, per se, of Joey Bosa. You don't really – you're not saying necessarily – if I well, gather I correctly. You, I, 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 wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I'm not. I just think he's not a guy that can go uh, anywhere. He needs to be no, I, I, that's what I think Bose is a guy. He's going to hold the edge for you as a defensive end. He's going to be stout in the run game. He'll get his sacks, but he's not an explosive player. Like he's not the JJ Watt. I don't see Bosa having 20 sacks some some year in the NFL. I see him as a guy. He's going to get his eight to ten sacks. He'll be good against the run. For me, I think you're kind of. You're drafting a little bit for need if you're grabbing him that high in the draft. That's just the way I feel about the player. I I, I don't think he's going to be a bad player. I think he'll be a good NFL player. But I think people who think he's just going to come into the league, get 15, 20 sacks, I don't see him like that. And the kid from Oregon, I see as I see scheme being very important for Buckner. I think he's a 3-4. You know, he's an end in a 3-4. That's where I like him based on his size, his build. Um could he go into a 4-3 team and be effective? I guess. But for me, if, if I'm Dallas, I just see that Ramsey kid as plug-and-play for what they need. You know what, I, you know what I want to jump back to? I want to jump back to the whole quarterback thing because I'm sitting here looking at a list. Okay. And, you know, you talked about the two guys that they're talking about being the top quarterbacks in this class coming out. And you made reference to saying, I, you know, I don't know that these guys are can't miss – um, draft picks, you know, can't miss quarterbacks. I'm going to go through these last few years here. I'm going to read the top three guys that have been drafted over the last, uh, let's say, five drafts here. Uh, James okay. Winston, Marcus Mariota, Garrett Grayson. 2014, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater. 2013, E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith, Mike Glennon. 2012, Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, Ryan Tannehill. 2011, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert. Now, I may ask you to go back in your time machine here a little bit um, and kind of forget where we are now with these guys. Coming out, though, can you, can you, out of those names I just gave you, give me the names of the guys that you thought were franchise players, kind of can't miss quarterbacks coming out? I, you know, we can, we can skip over to Andrew Luck and maybe to Jameis Winston and tell me if any of those other names, as I read. I had, I, had uh, I really believe Newton was, honestly, I did. There was so many people against that. And I'm there with you because um, seeing – and then even seeing the guy in person even helped me with that evaluation even more. Yeah. Uh, you're like, okay. Yeah, you're like, wow, that's – how are you stopping that? Um, so, yeah, let's put Cam Newton in that. Any of those other names? Well, let's not forget, you and I both like Winston, but I think it would be hard if you put a revolver, you know, proverbial revolver to our heads last year. I'm not sure – either one of us would have said Winston was can't miss because we did have some questions about his maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, those started to, those, those, I thought RG three, I'll be honest with the listeners. I thought RG three was a can't miss player. I really did. I, I didn't put him in that category coming out. I just, yeah, I, I did. Just I thought I, I just, I, I liked the way he carried himself and the athleticism. I just thought, I really thought he was going to be spe- special, and maybe he still will be. I don't know, but maybe he will be. You're right. I mean, there's. I, just don't, I don't like quarterbacks, Amo, that run four three. Just don't. Because they want to run. Um, 
they want to run. And the, and you know yeah. you know my saying: the ball moves faster than any human. So throw the damn ball to somebody and then let them do what it is that they do. With Cam Newton, he's not a four-three quarterback. And yes, he will run, but he's big. And before he gets hurt, he's going to hurt you. And that that part of it, I can roll with. You know, give me a guy, a big guy like that that can take off. You remember what Ben Roethlisberger was when he first came out? I mean, he wasn't a running quarterback, but he'd take off and he'd be able to take some shots, you know, from a guy. And it, you know, he morphed that into later mobile in the pocket and staying behind the line of scrimmage and letting plays develop. Which I think at some point Cam Newton's game is going to morph into that. I just have that feeling that that's what's going to happen. Well, you and, know, the way I um, kind of feel. Doubling back to what I said about quarterbacks in general coming out of the college game and not being ready for the pros because of what they're playing in college, it almost makes me say, you know, and count, I'm, I'm kind of contradicting what I did say about those two guys. Maybe you really do have to take a step back and take the data you just presented and say, you know, unless there's a guy that's, you know, so – you know, it was like like when Peyton Manning came out of college, four-year starter, there were very few talent evaluators who didn't feel he was going to be an excellent NFL quarterback. Now, they may not have thought he'd break every passing record, but, but mm-hmm. there was very few questions that this guy can play. He had the pedigree, the family, lineage, all that stuff. Unless you see a guy like that, like if you're on the fence, and I definitely think this, this year's two guys are guys that you're on the fence with. Could they end up being Pro Bowl players? Absolutely. Could they also end up being total bust? Absolutely. Maybe you are better served looking to that second or third round where there's guys with the, all the measurables, but for some reason they're just not as highly regarded, like a Connor Cook from Michigan State, um, like the kid from Mississippi State that you and I have discussed off the air, Prescott. I think there's some guys here that, that, that have the tools and just may need that seasoning. And like you said, you don't have the pressure if you take them because no one's going to call for you to start Connor Cook if your quarterback has a few bad games. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about, uh, Emil, why that is happening. Because because of those particular styles of offenses that you're talking about being run in the college football game, guys are piling up huge numbers. And they're throwing for 4,000 yards. And they're throwing, uh, whatever, 40 touchdowns and three interceptions, throwing bubble screens and little hitch passes and tunnel screens and things of that nature. And they're allowing them. And even, you know, one of the biggest tragedies in statistics in college football now with the passing is that a guy going in motion and passing in front of the quarterback who gets a shovel up, I mean, a two-inch shovel pass from the quarterback uh, while he's in motion, that counts as passing yardage. And when you're shoveling that pass to some 4-3 speedster who turns it up in the alley and guts somebody for 40 yards, that's a pass for, you know, said quarterback. So you're getting these guys piling up these numbers, a tremendous amount of hype in it, and then there's the pressure to call these guys the top guys coming out in the draft. But then somewhere in the middle, there are the guys who run the pro-style offenses that aren't piling up those kind of numbers that are actually those type of guys. So with the same uh, thing that I did reading off the top three guys taken in each one of those drafts, I'm going to start picking at some names that were picked in the middle of these drafts. So I'm not going to go last year because obviously these guys in the middle haven't had their chance yet. Right. But um, we start looking in the middle of these drafts. Let's start falling after those three guys. 2014, Derek Carr, uh, Zach Mettenberger. How about A.J. McCarron, who, you know, people are starting to feel, you know, kind of good about. 
2013, not a, not many there. You know, that was kind of really, really dried up. They tried to give Matt Barkley a chance there. Didn't quite work out. So you didn't have much there. They're still waiting for Landry Jones to do something. But you know what? On the case of Landry Jones, he stepped in there for Ben Roethlisberger and did some things this last yeah, season. Yeah, he you know he won some games they needed to win last year. So you can't you got to give him some credit. How about 2012 though? Russell Wilson. We all know about that. Um, you've got Nick Foles who's managed to continue to be a starter, although <laughs> some will ask why repeatedly. Um, Kirk Cousins looks like the guy who and he supplanted the guy. Um, that was taken on by, by that same team that year that we were previously talking about. And then you got Brock Osweiler, who stepped in for Peyton Manning and, yep. and kept things afloat. And uh, 2011, you got Andy Dalton, who's an entrenched starter. Colin Kaepernick, who had a little bit of his time um, here in the league, although you and I have talked quite a bit about the style of play he had. And then, you know, we can't say Blaine Gabbard. He was one of the top three guys. But you've got guy Ryan Mallett, who's had some chances here and done okay. You got guys in the middle of these drafts that have been taken that are that could be really good quarterbacks. You know, some of them it just boils down to being in the right organization. You're in a winning organization. You know a guy that intrigues me this year, and I think I've I've mentioned it to you, and and his interview actually intrigues me more because I find it refreshing. Is the kid from Penn State? Um, being up here and you know just having a lot of Penn State fans, I tend to watch their games if it doesn't interfere with my team. And you know, I saw a guy that his freshman year. I mean, when you watched him under Bill O'Brien, you know this guy had first round NFL pick written all over him. He's got all the measurables. He's six five. He he can make every throw. Big big arm. Then, you know, O'Brien leaves and in comes, you know, I call him the snake oil salesman, James Franklin. And mm-hmm. Franklin can recruit, no doubt about it. But if you watch the Penn State offense the last couple of years, um, he was lost as a head coach as to how to fix it. Horrible offensive line. The kid got hit a lot, um, led to bad decisions. I'm intrigued by him in the right situation. At Vanderbilt, too, by the way. I think people <laughs> tend to forget that. Uh, you know, Franklin did great things down there at Bandy, but uh, offense wasn't one of those things. No, offense wasn't one of them. And, you know, I sit here and I'm intrigued by the kid because of the measurables, because he showed that he can do it previously. So if someone did it at one point, that means they have the ability to do it. Now can you get it out of them? And I loved his interview. You and I, you saw my post on that a couple of weeks ago. They asked him what happened, and he told them at the Combine. I was in a bad situation. <laughs> No, you can't tell the truth. <laughs> you can't be telling the truth out there. You caught a little backlash on it. You know, on Hackenberg, Amel, I've not been a big fan because, you know, I, even as a freshman, I was not in love with his decision-making. But having said that, when I say I'm not a fan of a guy, it's because I'm hearing people wanting to shove him into uh, early on, wanting to shove him into the first round um, and the second round, and that's when I'm telling you I'm not a fan. I was like that with Ryan Tannehill. You're telling me you want to take this guy mid to late first round or even second round. I don't like the guy. You start telling me maybe you want to pick him up in the third, fourth round, then I'm saying, okay, you know, now this is a quarterback for you. But don't go putting that guy in the first, second round and think now you need to go throw him out there day one or somewhere in the middle of that first season and expect this guy to be all that. I think you're, you know, as as the Dolphins are finding out with Tannehill, 
You made yourself a bad decision there. You could have waited on that. Now, you pick Hackenberg somewhere in the third or fourth round, and like you said, there's not this pressure, uh, especially if there's a, a, a top-of-the-line quarterback at whatever franchise he goes to. There's no pressure asking to put this guy out there if your number one guy is having a bad stretch, and you can ease this guy into the game, he could turn into something. And, and you know we've talked about this in other years, and, and there is some validity to this. I like quarterbacks that have played for schools where they got hit. And what I mean by that is this. You look traditionally over the years when they were rolling good. Florida, USC, there's not a ton of great quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, why is that? Well, my theory is is kind of twofold. One, they typically played in clean pockets, first of all. They weren't getting hit. There weren't guys draped all over them. Two, their skill position players were some of the best in the country, so they weren't throwing to a receiver in a tiny window that they had to slip the ball in there. They were throwing to a guy that beat his guy by three or five yards running over the middle of the field. And then they get to the right. pros, and it's like uh, the guy's not open. Oh, he's open. He's got a half a step on him. Well, they're not used to that. True. Yeah, I get it. Um, and I've talked to some about that, too. And, you know, um, I've even had that discussion with some of the quarterbacks I've talked to on the high school level. That, um, And I've even, you know, I've used some of what you've brought to light about USC and the quarterbacks that they put out there. But you've got kids that want to go play college football and, and they're quarterbacks. And, of course, they want to play for USC. They want to play for all the big-name schools. And I try to tell some of them, hey, you know, that's not always a – yeah, it'll get you some hype. But does that prepare you for the next level for your wide receiver to always be better than the cornerback he lines up on? For well, and here's the case in point. I'll even I'll even make the case for USC. How about Carson Palmer? Now he is in the last twenty years the best quarterback out of SC. He's had a very good pro career. Who were his receivers at USC? You probably have to think about it. You probably don't remember them. You know why? Because that was at the beginning of the Pete Carroll era. His first three years at USC, they were a mediocre team. Finally, his senior year, they won. The, they finished like fourth in the country, and he won the Heisman. Then after that, all the other quarterbacks at USC were throwing to guys like Marquise Lee, Robert Woods, Mike Williams. I could go on and on the list of talented players on the outside, and then there, you add the Reggie Bushes of the world, and it wasn't hard compared to other guys to rack up yards at USC, and you weren't playing in a system where you were getting hit like you are in the NFL. Now, that's not a good thing to win in college, and you take a kid like Hackenberg, Penn State's offense looked dreadful last year. But here's a guy that is used to having guys at his feet and trying to make throws, and that's all I'm saying. There may be something to that when you get to the next level if you can straighten his mechanics out and all the decision-making that you don't like. Right. True. Um, and that is that, you know, I actually put that as a plus for Hackenberg at Penn State. You weren't in a situation where your receiver is better than that cornerback every time. You weren't in a situation where your offensive line could dominate the defensive line that's in front of them every Saturday. Um, and you could stand back there and, you know, have your hair blow in the wind while you pick the guy that you wanted to throw the ball to. So, I mean, what's that happened to Penn State? Maybe three, four times out of the year early on in the season when you're playing the directional schools? So that is probably a plus. And, you know, maybe Hackenberg's a guy who, you know, people aren't sold on, but he gets into the league and he ends up in a good situation. And we're like, wow, 
you know, maybe this He guy, intrigues what? me. The kid from Michigan State intrigues me. And I said, the kid from Mississippi State. Now, a kid that they're talking about in the second or third round, that I have a red flag on having him seen, having seen him play in person last year. I'm not a huge believer in Kevin Hogan from Stanford. I know he won more games than Andrew Luck. But the way Stanford won, I mean, he was a guy that benefited from the fact that they just pounded people to pulp with their ground mm-hmm. game. And there were games he threw 14 passes. <laughs> I mean, he's not necessarily, yeah. necessarily going to have that going for him at the next level. And his release to me, when I, I was sending you text the next day, watching him in person, I mean, he was just taking me to the, to the football. I couldn't believe how bad USC was. I mean, I could watch his eyes from where I was sitting, and I knew where he was going to throw the ball. Right, right. Yeah, um, Yeah. listen, I, I get it. Um, and, listen, having, think about my alma mater and the quarterbacks that came through there and how great they were in the college football level and then what they were able to do at the next level. And tell me that doesn't speak a whole bunch to – Well, Bernie was the best one, right? Bernie and Jim Kelly and those guys were before Miami was super dominant. I mean, Bernie won the – the national yeah, how about that? But that was that part of it. Think about that part of it. You know, they got they took the they took the franchise, let's say, they took the program to the next level. And then uh, as a result, you started getting better at all of the other positions. And the guys that came after them were able to produce more at the college level, but ended up doing less at the professional level. And if that doesn't speak to the point that you and I are making here about the fact that it's not really in your best interest to be lining up with the best running back uh, offensive line and the best receivers each and every week doesn't really prepare you for the pro game. No one, no one lines up with such, um, you know, a dominance and talent like that in the NFL. No, no, that's, that's the biggest difference. There's a limit on how many guys, you know, like a lot of these guys who coach college that used to say, Oh, the reason I like college is I can sign I can sign 25 number one draft picks. I mean, it, it, you know, there's some tongue in cheek there, but at some of these schools when they get it going at different periods in their history, they're essentially bringing in draft classes, you know, like that where you know you'll see a year where they have 10, 11 guys drafted. So you are going out there on a Saturday with a huge talent advantage that just doesn't happen on Sunday. Um, and you know, your school had a litany of the Steve Walshes and. Gino and you know every guy that came after the first two that we named Kozar and Kelly that really right. didn't do much in the pros. I mean Vinny, Vinny was you know probably a guy in there that had a nice pro career, but not what people expected coming out of Miami. People expected Vinny to kind of be like a Peyton Manning type deal, and he was just you know a guy who threw for some yards, but essentially a journeyman. Yeah, you know, hung around long enough to for people to say he sucks, then he's okay, then he's, you know, not that bad, you know. <laughs> so that's what ended yeah. up happening with his career. Let's jump into our final break. When we get back here, we'll hop on some of the other sports that are uh, out and uh, in season, actually. We can talk about this NFL stuff all year long. The NFL's done a good job of that. But there's some other things going on, so we'd like to close out the show with that. We'll do that right after we get back from the break. Stay with us. It's the Gridiron Stud Show.
what's the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Are you a property owner or want to be one, but you don't have time for property management? Then get an MVP on your team. Who has time for the letting process, for arranging inventories and organizing pre-tenancy cleaning, dealing with deposit negotiations, and negotiating with service suppliers and maintenance? No one's got time for that. MVP does, though. Get this MVP on your team. You can rely on MVP property management to offer you an extreme amount of quality and professional services for your money. And because they know that everyone is different, they pride themselves in providing a professionalized service to each and every one of their clients. So how do you get this MVP on your team? It's simple. Pick up the phone and call right now. 844-696-8722. That's 844-MY-MVP-CC. Or send an email to info at mymvp.cc. Get this MVP on your team and start winning today.
organizing transactions that you make to generate more overdraft fees for themselves. The, the crux of it is... Now, most, you know, by the not, way, just for the record, have reversed that policy. They used to do largest to smallest. So for anybody out there, you don't need to be a genius in math. If you're going to overdraft your account, and I put the largest one through first, everything subsequently, you might get four overdraft fees of 30 bucks a piece on five mm -hmm. checks that day. But if I clear the four smallest ones first... Only the big one is going to overdraft your account, and you only get uh, you know one fee instead of four. Most have reversed that policy. I'm not even sure if they – I think they may have been in some states legally required to do so, but not all of them, from what I understand. Not all have reversed that policy. Most go smallest to largest now. For years, they all did exactly what you're, what you're describing, largest to smallest. Yeah, well, I'm here to tell you SunTrust Bank not one of those that has reversed that policy. Just so you know. Oh, I believe so, you. Uh, I believe I'm you. so anti-consumer. But you know what it is for me? Well, it's not even just that. You know, I may not be an individual who has this kind of a problem where my account is sitting at zero and I run into that. It's just that that you would do this to some of your customers makes me wonder, what else are you doing um, policy-wise with other policies that, if you know what, it just lends itself to your mindset. If you're doing this to this segment of customers, what are you doing to the other ones? What are you doing to someone like myself that runs a business? Or what are you doing to, you know, someone who has a whole bunch of money in their account that doesn't necessarily pay attention or log in every day? How are you siphoning money out of their account um, on a daily basis or weekly basis or monthly basis? It's your mindset. And once you have a policy like this, it says to me, you uh, view your customers in a certain kind of way as ATMs, people you could just pull money well, out of. I you know, without getting too far into it, I went to a Jesuit university. So for those of you out there, think uh, Georgetown, Boston College, St. Joe's, Loyola. You know, so we were in the sister schools. You know, there's about, there's about 30 of them, 28 of them, whatever it is now. Um, mm -hmm. And one course we had to take was business ethics, and it was important. You know, and then they, I'm not sure we teach that anymore. And if we do, I'm not sure anyone listens to it because you know, just because I always say this to people, and you know, I've said this to you over time. Test, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Well, just because you can legally do something doesn't mean you should morally do it. And somehow, somewhere along the way, we lost our way as a country with, yeah, I can do something. There's a lot of things I can do, but it doesn't mean I should morally do it. And sometimes I think that's really what you're asking for here. You know, morally, you know, you and I are all for making money. But you, you got to sure. do it ethically. You, you know, you got to do it ethically, man. Make money anyway. providing a service that helps people for crying out loud. If Correct. I put my money in your bank and your bank is called SunTrust, for God's sakes, man. I, I mean, don't pit me against you. You're my bank. Exactly. I'm a customer. We're supposed to be in partner. We're supposed to be partners. And I, I feel like every time I walk in your place, I should have a firearm and be ducking behind a desk as I make my way to the teller. You might pick my ass <laughs> I mean, Jesus, hey, that is the mindset when I go into my bank sometimes. Be like, careful. You know, MSA might be at your front door when you get off the when you get off the show. Be careful. I, he, I, he says I mean, that kidding. They, they don't want you walking in that place with guns, but good God, you feel like you should have two of them, one on each hip <laughs> when you walk into the damn bank. It's ridiculous. So, Listen, yeah, I got you off point because I because I want to get back to this big game tonight and get your thoughts. I mean, we don't usually play do too much basketball here, but you know. We'd be remiss if we're not talking about the national championship game tonight, North Carolina, Villanova. W what do you see happening? 
Hey, you know, here's what experience has taught me. Villanova looked awesome in that semifinal game. Absolutely smashed, okay, Oklahoma. All right, just destroyed them. And they've looked pretty good going through this whole thing. And I expect the world to be on Villanova and not really give uh, 33-6 and six North Carolina much of a chance, who, by the way, is a first seed. Uh, and just experiences told me North Carolina is probably the play to make here tonight. Well, they've pushed the line up to three, I just looked, uh, from two and a half opening. So apparently there is some Carolina money coming in. I'm torn. Um, one thing that concerns me with playing Carolina is they have a, you know, a big size advantage on Villanova. Now, that can be a positive, you know, obviously on the glass. But I'm also concerned that Villanova can do some things to them that Carolina is not used to dealing with, especially with the way their guards are and the way they move the basketball and shoot it. And uh, Villanova plays some defense, man. I mean, that's one thing. They can win different kinds of games. If you go through their season and you look at their schedule, they've won games in the 60s. They've won games in the 90s. They they have a, a, a bunch of different ways to beat you, and they've really taken the tougher road in this tournament. You go through who they had to beat. Carolina, just because of the way things fell, I don't think they had to beat anybody above a five seed. And I look at mm-hmm. who Villanova took out in, in, in the way of Oklahoma and Kansas and your school, Miami, who, was, who had a really good team this year. I, I, I don't know. I'm just feeling Villanova. No, I'm not a big basketball guy, so take it for what it's worth. But I, I don't know. I just feel Villanova in this game tonight. Well, by the way, Mr. Big, not big basketball guy here. Um, answered in the ESPN brackets uh, challenge that they have every year. And, of course, it's ESPN, so you're going to draw a whole bunch of um, entries into that, multiple entries as well. All, all be told, 14 million brackets entered in. Uh, you know, kudos to ESPN for having that kind of participation. Uh, my co-host here is uh, number 63,000. And while that sounds crazy to you, that puts him in the upper, uh, you know, what's that? Where, where does that put you? Like one-tenth of one percent. Basically, when you go for your percentage, you're in the top 100% because it's, they don't go up. I had three of the final four. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not an expert. I just, you know, I, sometimes knowing less helps you in these things. I took Carolina, Villanova, and Oklahoma in the final four. I missed on Michigan State, who was out in the first round. A lot of people missed on them. And I had sure, North Carolina beating them. Yeah, North Carolina beating Villanova tonight, but obviously that was three weeks ago, and I'm you know kind of changing my my tune, and maybe I should just stick with my original uh, song I was singing. But I I don't know, you know, you just get that feeling sometimes, and to me this Villanova team just got that feeling they did 30 years ago, and maybe that's just me being nostalgic, but yeah, um, perhaps you know, and I'm I'm a guy that's all for for defense. I just feel like. Um, there's a little bit of a tidal wave, a, a tidal wave, a swoon on behalf of Villanova, and I just tend to want to go opposite of that. Experience has told me that. Not so, though, in the women's game. I mean, you can go ahead and swoon in the direction of UConn and just keep going and just throw me on that boat. I mean, how dumb. Yeah, throw me, throw me on UConn there. Put me down for UConn. <laughs> I mean, sign me up. Can you even put a line on something like that? Why are they so dominant? You know, you have to say the one constant there has been the coach. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Gino, right? I mean, uh, Are you, I mean what I else are you going to say? Yeah, you got to say that. I mean, what else are you going to say? He is the Coach K of the women's game and probably even more successful, you know, when you look at the amount of titles. 
you know, than Coach K. So, I mean, he's the constant. I mean, players change, everything changes, but he just keeps winning. I suppose when you're talking about women's basketball, uh, you're going you're gonna to have your limit as to the amount of great coaches you can have. Um, and by great coaches is not only knowing the game and teaching the game, but also uh, adding in the, the factor of motivation. So I, it could open the door for just one person to dominate like this. And, boy, are they dominating. That's really Well, it happened before, you know, the, the, prior to him, the dominant women's program and coach was Pat Summit at Tennessee. She unfortunately uh, has, you know, the onset of Alzheimer's disease at a young age. Um, she's, you know, stepped away from that position, but she won, I don't know what, eight national titles, something like that at Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was the dominant force and now he's kind of taken that mantle, taken the baton and run with it. Yeah. Well, those have been the two dominant names in this sport and yeah, you know, kudos to uh Yukon for, you know, what they're doing and, you know, their accomplishments and, um, uh, back at it again. It looks like they're going to, Going to do that thing again. Well, listen, it's it's one of your favorite times of the year. I'm not sure yet if if this is your favorite time or or if that's September. But um, Major League Baseball true opening day today. We've already had one cancellation. I guess it's pretty crummy out there in New York. So my Yankees won't be able to take the field today. But um, yesterday was the official opening day. But today is that real opening day. Your Dodgers are on pretty late, 10 o'clock with the. Well, no, not your Dodgers, but. Um, the Angels are jumping on this thing pretty late, uh, taking on. Yeah, the Dodgers are on at seven on ESPN, and then you got the Angels Cubs at ten. I mean, listen, uh, yeah, I do a football show with you, and you, you, you know, over the years, you know, my love of the sport of football. I love the sport, but I mean, at my core, as a sports fan, if you made me pick, I, I'm a baseball guy. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I played more of, you know, up until college. That that that's what I just I love it. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying I don't love football. You can love both of them. But, you know, this is really something I look forward to. And, uh, you know, I know I'm in the minority because there's a bunch of guys like you and me who like baseball. There seems to be a lot of guys, especially in the over 30 bracket, that are football-baseball mm-hmm. guys. And I know you like baseball. Right. Uh, obviously, I would say if I had a guess, you probably like football more. But, um, you know, I'm probably in the minority. I but I just love the sport. I probably closer, uh, Amal, than people think. You know, so yeah, you, I, I know you love baseball. You're a good baseball, baseball fan. I've, ever since I know you, you love baseball. Yeah, no doubt. If I had my brothers, I'd have been a baseball player. I wanted my kids to be baseball players, but you know how that goes when you really want something, it's going to kind of go the opposite way. Um, so, but but yeah, I would have to say I'm more of a football fan. But it's pretty damn close, man. You know, part of, part of the charm I find with baseball, and maybe you do too, and I, I think that that's kind of been lost, and maybe maybe it'd be better if we can get back to that. You're with your buddy or your family. You go to a baseball game. You can watch the game and enjoy it, and at the same time enjoy the entire experience from, you know, looking up at the sun, smelling hot dogs, you know, uh, drinking your beer, and the game goes at a pace where it's good. I mean, you might miss a pitch or two, but you're not missing complete parts of the game. Football, you almost have to sit there. And I know that's what a lot of people like about it. You almost have to sit there without moving, or you miss so much yeah. stuff. You know what I? You know what I think the appeal really is for the both of us. Um, one, statistics. You're an accounting guy. I happen to love statistics, and I think we both like history. 
And the game is big on that. And that's why I think that whole steroid era uh, really almost killed the sport because it inflated and distorted the history of the game. And you were struggling to figure out where do these current folks fit into the history of the game. I mean, well, one of the great, them. I would encourage anyone out there. If you, home runs, you know, 71 oh, home runs. Yeah, I mean, what I would encourage any any listener out there, if you got a chance, go on YouTube later, and I'm sure somebody's posted it. If you haven't seen the movie Field of Dreams, uh, the James Earl Jones speech about time and baseball. You know, as humans, you know, not to get too philosophical here, we mark time different ways. Music does that for us. I mean, you hear a song, and it takes mm-hmm. you to where you were at that point in your life, Okay. For sports fans, a lot of us measure time by sporting events. You know, we remember a Super Bowl or whatever. Baseball, and you hit the the nail on the head with history, baseball does a very good job of, for people who love it, it marks time. In other words, Mm -hmm. you can remember certain periods of life and eras through baseball. And I think people like us who love history, like you said, love numbers, uh, baseball does the best job of all the sports. Of, of remembering their history, if you ask me. I think they do, you know, like we're going to have on April 15th, Jackie Robinson Day. I think that's right. a great thing baseball does, you know. And and they seem to be, that's the one thing they get right. They get a lot of things wrong the way they run their sport when they have their playoff games end at, at 1 o'clock in the morning where kids can't see them. But they do do mm-hmm. a good job of uh, keeping the lineage of the game going and, and remembering the guys who who made the game what it is today, and sometimes a better job than I would say the NFL does in that in that respect. You know what? Uh, whereas they might have been criticized for this before, and uh, especially when you're measuring them against the NFL, baseball is not chasing as hard as the NFL the segment of people who aren't for baseball fans. They're not chasing it as hard. So they're not facing as much scrutiny as maybe the NFL is right now for everything that is their sport. Whereas baseball fans know, hey, listen, this is our sport. This is the way that it is. A game takes three hours. It's you know that's how long it's going to take. And you know this is. This well, is I never understood zone. that, by the way. Like when I'm on a Saturday afternoon and I'm watching a USC game, if they're playing well, and I'm going to preface it that over, I've been lucky in my life. Most of the time they've played well. Okay, but. If they're playing well, I don't want the game to end. I could sit there and watch them beat the snot out of somebody for six hours, okay? Um, sure. Baseball, everybody goes, oh, well, you know, the game takes three and a half hours. Well, if you go to a game, what the hell do you care if it took three and a half hours? You're enjoying yourself, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, you know, it's not just those folks that are at the game now because more and more sports is the at-home um, segment of the population. Ah, but now you're hitting the nail on the head. Thank you for making my point. Who's really complaining about the time of the game might not really be the fans. It sounds to me like TV executives don't like it because it doesn't fit in a nice box for them of three (laughs) hours like an NFL game. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Games can go in the extra innings. And, uh, you know, there could be no end to that sometimes. Um, They're kind of at the mercy of uh, a starting pitcher or a pitcher on the mound who may or may not want to hurry up and get on a rubber and, and pitch, or a batter who uh, might have the longest ritual ever before he steps into the batter's box, and you know, you know, you're at the mercy of a lot of those things. Whereas in the NFL, 
or in the in the football game you don't you don't have that. You've got you've got a and, and you know what the other thing is and, and I know we might have listeners that say I'm crazy but you listen to my complete statement here. Baseball to watch it is a far more nuanced game than football. And what I mean by that is sure. If I want to understand a playbook, yeah, that's in depth. Um, if I want to understand what you're doing when you're playing robber coverage, that's in depth. But I don't need to know that to watch a football game, as is proven by the NFL. My wife can sit, watch football, get the gist of it, um, and other than maybe you know if a couple penalties I have to explain, or she understands, hey, we got to get the ball ten yards. We do it every four downs. We get more downs. We put the ball over the line. It's it's you know that's that. Baseball. If you're sitting there, you really, unless you understand the nuance of the game, you don't understand why the pitcher throws over to first base five times to get the, to, to take a half a step off a guy because he doesn't want sure. to steal second base. You don't get that. And then to you, it's like, well, oh, man, just throw the ball. And that's, that's the thing with baseball. It's a more nuanced game. So I think the fan base in baseball, the people that really love it, they love it. In other words, it's a very loyal base. It's like a hockey fan base. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all, all very valid points there. So, listen, check out. Might be the only baseball you watch this year, but it is opening day. So, if you have an opportunity, find yourself a television, pick a game, watch it, try to learn a little something about the actual players that are playing there. You might find out it's something you're a little bit more interested in than you may have otherwise thought about. So, hey, listen, uh, it's been a while. We kicked off some rust, knocked off some dust, and we're back at it. Good Iron Stud Show, man. It was great. We are back. back. Are we, we going Friday, right? We're here Friday. Yes. We are here Friday. We're back on. And uh, we hope to see you all here. We'd like to thank all of y'all that tuned in today to listen to the Gridiron Stud Show. We thank all of our loyal listeners. We thank you for making us a featured show on blogtalkradio.com. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's the Gridiron Stud Show. Hey man, how many offers do you have? Well, I got about 10. To all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now, set your profile up, and let yourself be seen.